through the years, many of us have come to know Jesus as Kumbaya Jesus. Say Kumbaya. Kumbaya. Yeah, it was a great song that we learned as kids, wasn't it? You know, Kumbaya Jesus. I mean, who, who's Kumbaya Jesus? Jesus, Kumbaya Jesus is Jesus chill. You know, Jesus that comes and uh, sits on your couch with you, eats hot Cheetos, you know, watches beat Bobby Flay. And, uh, you know, that, that, that's, that's what we call Kumbaya Jesus. And, and you know, so, so through the years, it's kind of interesting that, that Kumbaya Jesus has a different trinity. And, and the, the different trinity of Kumbaya Jesus goes something like this. It's like, you know, Bob Marley, Mr. Rogers, and Mahatma Gandhi. So, you know, Bob Marley brings the, you know, the chill and uh, with natural things, of course. And uh, uh, Mr. Rogers, you know, sure, I knew you could, you know, great in the neighborhood. And, and Gandhi, the great peaceful uh, pursuer or purveyor of peace. And that's kind of how we caught Jesus throughout the years. But the, but the problem with Kumbaya Jesus is uh, Kumbaya Jesus can't stand up to the real Jesus. And let me tell you why. Kumbaya Jesus is missing something. He's missing what real Jesus can bring. And real Jesus brings the truth. And that's the difference between the two. We're, uh, we're in Matthew's gospel and, and we're going to be traveling through the gospel of Matthew all through the season of Lent. What is Lent? Lent is a, is a season, it's a gift of the church. It's a season that we celebrate where you and I get to go and really look in the depths of our souls. We get to uh, reconcile our lives and our souls with God. We, we get to like search deep down. Not that we shouldn't be doing this all year long, but in Lent especially, it's a time to, for that introspective look to say, am I truly chasing after God? Am I loving people as Jesus loves me? Am I loving God with everything that there is about me. And that's what Lent is. And it's a chance and an opportunity for us to actually confess where we fall short. Um, confession is not a bad thing at all. It's, a, it's actually a great thing. And, and confession, uh, the old saying is, confession is good for the soul. Um, it actually allows us to rid ourselves of that which is holding us back and to let it go and, and for God to graciously remove that. So uh, up through the challenges or the chapters of Matthew, we've been seeing Jesus on, on kind of a mission. He's been going and he's been preaching, he's been healing, he's been teaching, um, he's been doing lots of things. And up through chapters one through nine, we see Jesus actually doing most of the ministry himself. But then all of a sudden we see a, a paradigm shift in chapter 10. In chapter 10, Jesus then begins to say to the disciples, this ministry is now yours. You need to do something with this. And Jesus takes a back seat, so to speak, when we do that. So, so when he says to the disciples, this is your ministry, what he's really saying is he's saying two things. He said it to them, and he says it to us. He says the first thing is, is that you are going to be my representative. You're going to be my ambassador in the world. And the second thing he says is, is that you are going to be the one that shares the good news. What's the good news? The good news is, is that, that God loves us, God pursues us. Uh, that Jesus died on a cross for our sins, that when we made the mistake of bad choices in the very beginning, that Jesus, through his righteousness, his perfect life, he remedied that by giving his life on the cross. That we are to proclaim the good news that sins can be forgiven, and we need people to be aware of that great truth. Well, it sounds pretty good, doesn't it? It sounds really good when you think about that. So, so Jesus in chapter 10 begins this kind of this thought process, and he says to them, so now it's up to you to take this ministry. But then he, he puts a little twist to it. He says, listen to me really closely. 
Now that you're going to be the one taking the ministry, now that you're going to be the one representing me, now that you're going to be my ambassador in the world, guess what? People aren't going to like you. He says, people aren't going to like you. In fact, in fact, listen very closely, he said. You might even lose your life. And that was the message that was being brought. He said, don't be afraid to die. That can happen. So let's look at Matthew chapter 10. Jesus speaking, do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A, a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. And anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than they love me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. I mean, let's, let's back the bus up for a second. I mean, when have you heard Jesus saying stuff like that? I mean, again, kumbaya Jesus, like, ooh, all peace, hope, and you know, love, 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 love. Now Jesus is talking about, wait a minute, there's, there's some nasty things that are going to happen. In fact, you know, as you're my ambassador, there's some things that are going to come against you. And then he starts talking about divisions and families and, and mother-in-laws and all those things. I mean, I heard stories about mother-in-laws. Mine was great, by the way. But, you know, uh, but he talks about you know, mother-in-laws and divisions and all those kinds of things. I mean, what does he mean? I mean, listen to what he's talking about. He's instituting divisive language here. And it's almost as if Jesus is on a tirade. And, and when you read this verse, it's almost like, you know, hey, Jesus, what up? You know, you need a Snickers? What, what's going on? And we try to get into his head a little bit and see what it's all about. See, I think what Jesus is doing, I think he's, um, I think he's preparing us. I think he's preparing us for what's in the world. I think he's, he's laying it out there. He's saying, I don't want you to be surprised by anything. He's teaching us how to be an ambassador. He is saying that, that the message that we carry sometimes isn't going to be a good message that people will receive. In fact, many of us know that, that we've shared the gospel. We've shared the love of Jesus. We've talked to people about what it means to give their life to Jesus only to be shut down, only to be told, you know, I don't want to hear that nonsense. Just leave me. So we know a little bit about what that's like. So Jesus is saying that there's got to be a relationally compassionate way to share the, to share the good news here. There's got to be a relationally compassionate way to tell the truth, but also helping people to know that I come to bring peace in some capacity. You see, I think when Jesus says, I, I didn't come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword, I think what he's saying is, is I came to disturb the peace. So I want you to just, you know, roll with me a little bit today, and I want you to, I want you to challenge your own understanding of kumbaya Jesus, and, and I want to get us onto that uh, focus of who real Jesus is. So, so why is it that something that is inherently good, how can that cause so much division in life? If something is good, how can that divide? If something is great, how can that not unite, but how can that divide? Jesus said, let's go back to the text, do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. You know, so thousands of years ago, Jesus knew that, that, that you and I would label him Kumbaya Jesus. He knew that we would go back to our little Sunday school lessons. He knew that we'd go back to those old flannel boards. Anybody remember a flannel board? If you do, don't raise your hand. You're showing your age. He knew that if we did that, that we would see him as, as Kumbaya Jesus. 
He says, you know, um, don't, don't pretend that I bring peace to everybody is what he's saying. Because with that comes something even greater than that. You know, we read these words, we read these words that he didn't come to bring peace, but he came to bring a sword. It kind of starts us fidgeting a little bit. It starts challenging the core of what we've always believed in who we thought Jesus is to be. So let's be careful here, though. So when we read those words, that I did not come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword, let's be really careful, though, that what we're not saying is, is that Jesus isn't for peace. He's not saying that. Let's make sure we're not reading into that, that Jesus is only wanting wars within families. He's not saying that. And I'm going to share with you what he's talking about with that. You know, in order to really understand Jesus, we have to put things in context. And, and anytime you read the scripture, you'll hear pastors say, put it into the proper context. There's a reason why we have to look at contextual measures when we're looking at the writings of the scriptures, because we have to understand what's going on. And sometimes what we take is just blanket statements because, well, that's what was said. That's really not true, because we have to look at what was going on when things were said the way that they were. So we have to look at it into the context. And, and in Matthew chapter 5, we know that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be sons and daughters of God. So we know Jesus is for peace. And we know later on in, in Matthew 26, um, Jesus is being arrested uh, in the garden. And while it's there, you know, what happens with Peter? Peter draws a sword from his side and he lobs off the ear of, of a slave who's with one of the persons trying to, to capture Jesus. And Jesus doesn't say, well done, Peter, way to go. You drew a sword and you cut the guy's ear off. He doesn't say that. He rebukes Peter. And he says, Peter, this is, this is a time of peace. Put away your sword. And, and Jesus, in the ways of peace, goes over and, and touches the man's ears. And he reestablishes and reconnects the man's ear to his head. So, so we can't look at this and say that Jesus is all about violence and, and Jesus doesn't want any good. In fact, we've got to make sure that we don't take it that way at all. In fact, I don't think Jesus is promoting violence in this passage. What I think he's promoting is that he wants us to be vigilant. He wants us to be vigilant. He wants us to be on the alert. He wants us to be understanding and aware of what's coming so that we are not caught off guard. You see, the Greek word that, that is chosen here and, and used in peace means societal harmony. It also translates into cultural peace, and that's important for us to understand. And, and, and when he uses the word sword, sword has a couple of different annotations in Scripture. One is a physical sword. The other means the Word of God or the truth of God through the Word. So what, so what Jesus is saying in essence here is, is he's bringing the truth of God through the Word, and with that he's going to start dealing with societal harmonies. And by hearing the word of God, and when people are challenged by the word of God, when people are called to make changes in their life, that societal harmony may not stay intact. That sometimes hearing the word of God means that, that there isn't peace, but that there is, there is other things that are happening here. And that's why I think this morning our first takeaway is this. Here's the first takeaway. We're called to be peacemakers who carry a message that is not peaceful. You and I are called to be peacemakers, and we're called to be peacemakers, but we carry a message that isn't always peaceful. Jesus calls truth a sword. Why? Because he knows that truth divides, and God's word can bring division. Think about it for a second. You might have an opinion about something. I might have an opinion about something. You might interpret scripture one way. I might interpret it differently. We might have two different interpretations the question is, who's telling the truth? Who's leaning into the truth? And Jesus said the only way to find truth is to look at him. 
He is the way, the truth, and the life. And he says, look at my life, look at my death, look at my resurrection, look at how I healed people, look at how I lived. And that's how you'll find truth in life. So there are times when, when division is created in the lives of believers because the believers are on opposite ends of the truth. Now listen, I'm one who really believes that, that the church should always be in unity. And what I mean by that is, is that, that the scriptures say that, that you and I are one in Christ. We may be on opposite ends of the spectrum, the scripture says, loose translation here, but what it means is that we can always find unity in Jesus Christ that that is what brings us together. And so there may not be uniformity in everything that the church, capital C, sees, but the church should always strive to be in unity with itself. So what that means is, is that, that, that as you are with other believers, as you are with other people who are uh, faithful people, you may need to understand, and even with non-believers, that there may be a point in time that it's not in the cards for you to be in agreement. There may be disunity. But Jesus says, believe in what I have to say. So it sounds kind of backwards. It sounds kind of backwards that we're peacemakers, but yet the message that we bring is not a peaceful message. I mean, how does that work? I mean, the only example I could come up with was, was a great one is, is 60 years ago. In the, in the movement of, of um, human rights and in the movement of of affirmation of all people, regardless of color, are created in the image of God. You know, we struggled with that, the civil rights movement in our country. We said that a person's skin dictated who they were and who they were not, what they were entitled to and what they were not entitled to. We said that because someone did not have white skin, that they were less than someone who had white skin. So a peacemaker by the name of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. came in and had a message of peace, but it didn't bring peace. It, it, didn't, it wasn't a peaceful process. But King realized that the only way that he and his folks of the civil rights movement could actually make things happen to turn society around, to have history change, to have a nation come to grips of equality was that they had to maintain peace. They knew that if they started rioting, they knew if they started you know, causing uh, ruckus into the streets, if they knew that they started looting and all of that, that their whole message would be lost. And Dr. King said that the only way, the only way that we can do this is, is to be peaceful. And that's what he did. And through his peaceful message, we see what happened. And through even the giving of his life, the whole thing turned around. Earlier I said that we're called to be peacemakers who carry a, a message that isn't peaceful. But see, I, I'm convinced that in looking at that, that, that most of us are peaceful people. We, we want to have peace. You and I, we, we want to live in harmony. We want to be peaceful with those that are around us. But sometimes the message that we carry will challenge that, will change that. So think about it this way. Let's say that uh, you're out working in your yard. Anybody actually work in their yard now without paying somebody to work in their yard? Anybody? Okay. Four or five of you? Okay. So, so, um, so let's say you're out working in your yard and you're overcome with the heat and you're like, you know, parched and you go inside and you take a cup of cold water and you drink it and it refreshes you. So the word of God is like that. You know, the word of God refreshes us. But let's just say that, that all of a sudden you go in your house and somebody puts salt in it and you drank and you guzzle that down, you have this tremendous thirst, but all of a sudden now it burns 
on its way down. So sometimes when Jesus is talking about the word is a sword and all that, and it cuts and it divides, he's talking about sometimes we feel that the word is palatable and sometimes it's really hard to swallow. But ultimately, it is the word of God and we need to live into that. So the first step in, in, in dealing with that is that we've got to get right with God. And this is really a, a central focus of what Lent is. You know, uh, too often we convince ourselves that, that we have, you know, done the prayer thing and that we've accepted Jesus and, and wow, everything else is fine. But you know what? Every day you and I are challenged in sin. In fact, the scriptures say that the devil waits crouching at our doorstep, waiting to pounce on us to get us to do something that is out of the will of God. So the first thing we have to do is every day we have to recognize that, that even though we are good people, we're not good people, we're bad people. And what I mean by that is, is that we're sinners. We're not perfect, we don't, make good, we don't make good choices, we make mistakes. God loved us enough that he gave us the choice to choose him. But yet as we read the scriptures, we find out that, that we saw other things and we know of other things in our lives today that we wanna chase and pursue, other things that have our attention, other things that are more sexy, other things that we wanna gravitate toward, other things that we covet rather than God. So we're fallen, we're sinners. And so we, we, have to, we have to come clean before God and we have to say, you know, God, I recognize that. I recognize on any given day that I want to be a good person. I recognize on any given day I want to make the right choices, but at the end of the day, I'm going to blow it. I'm lousy at that. And God, I need forgiveness. And the scriptures say God offers that. But Jesus takes a look at us when, we're, when we fight that, when we think about, no, I, you know, their sin is worse than mine or, or that's a sin. And well, mine, that's just kind of a suggestion. And all of a sudden, Jesus looks at us and says, I can't be your savior if you feel you don't have sin. And so we have a choice to make. And that choice is we draw closer to God. And that choice is that we lean into what the word has to say. Let's go back into Matthew 10. Jesus said, for I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. And anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. I mean, you know, is Jesus saying we need to hate on our moms? No, it's not what he's saying. Again, context, context, context. In the ancient world, family was prime. In the ancient world, they worked to protect the values of family. In the ancient world, they went to bat for each other in the family. In the ancient world, they cared for their family. They loved their family. And then when Jesus chimes in and says, but you can't love your sons and daughters more than you love me. You can't love your parents more than you love me. All of a sudden, we're, our, our minds are spinning. We're going like, how can, how can we believe that? What, what's the truth in that? And what he's talking about is, he's talking about commitment. I touched about this a little bit last week, and I said that, that, that at the end of the day, we have to look at who we are. We have to look at what we are and what we have and who we have and all of that. And if we can start listing the things that are the most important things in our lives, and if it, let's say it's your spouse or your boyfriend or your girlfriend, <coughs> let's say it's your parent, let's say it's your car, your pet, whatever. If you list that as your top importance, if God looked at you today and said, I need you to get rid of that, if you can't get rid of that, you don't own it, it owns you. And that's what he's saying here, that when it comes to life, I have to be the priority. 
When it comes to life, you have to be my witness. You have to be my ambassador. When it comes to life, you have to be willing to proclaim the gospel. And knowing that you're going to do that, you need to understand it's going to be dangerous, that you might even lose your life, that people aren't going to like you, that, that because you profess me, there will be people in your family who will disagree with you, who will disown you. But it's the truth. And he says we need to listen to that. And we need to pull that up. You see, I, I, I like you, I know people who, who tell you all day long, I love Jesus. I, I love him. I see him as my Lord. I, I don't doubt that at all. That I'll do anything to follow Jesus and, and I'm all in with Jesus and all that. And, and I don't doubt that at all. <clears throat> but it's, then it's that same person who'll come to me and say, I feel called to be a leader of the church. Okay, great. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about your spiritual life. Let's talk about your journey. Are you in a small group because you need to be nurturing that? Do you give your treasures back for the kingdom's work? Are you in church uh, almost every Sunday? Are you here? Are you making that commitment? Well, kind of. This is what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about this. And when we hear it, we get angry. We either get angry at the messenger or we get angry at the message. Because we don't want to see ourselves that way. But Jesus said, to follow me, there has to be something different. It leads us to our second point. Our, our relationship with Jesus goes even deeper than blood because he poured out his blood for us. This means, as I said earlier, there can be no relationship above him. You can love your spouse with your heart. You can love and, and care for your children. You can, you can take care of your puppy. You can do whatever you want to do. But do you love him more than you love the Lord? Oh, but that's a different kind of love, Bob. I mean, it's not the same. Do you love them more than you love the Lord? God says, I'm a jealous God. I want to be first in your life. And that's what he's saying to the disciples. Jesus knew that this, this teaching would be hard for us, and, and that's why I believe he ended this passage by saying these words, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. There's a reason why Jesus uses the language of the cross here. And we need to understand the significance of that. You know, if you're a peacemaker for peace's sake, you're going to do whatever it takes to bring peace. But you also have to know that, that whenever you're trying to bring peace, the message that you're bringing may not be received as peace. People may not want to hear what you have to say. But Jesus said it's a burden, it's a burden, and, and, and you, have to, you have to carry that like you carry a cross. That message is so important, that message is so critical that it's going to feel like you're carrying a cross. To the fourth century Jew, they would have known exactly, uh, or, or to the Jews, they would have known that in, in 4 BC, a, a huge Roman uprising happened, and G Roman general Varus came in and, and crucified 2,000 Jews. And he basically crucified them, and he lined up the, the streets into Jerusalem with 2,000 bodies on crosses. So the Jews that Jesus was speaking to, when he said, take up your cross and follow me, they knew exactly what that meant. It meant death. It meant that there was an ultimate sacrifice, and they could, they could rationally put that. That was a word picture that they could put in their mind and say, I know exactly what he means about that. And that's the commitment that he calls. Take up your cross and follow me. But see, what Jezus did was, though, he was brilliant. 
He took a symbol of death, he took a symbol of hatred that Rome used, and he turned it upside down, and he basically made it a symbol of love. He made it a, a symbol of victory. And Jesus said, I'm willing to go and to pay that price so that you can live. I believe that Jesus put this piece of scripture that we know as scripture, this, this passage of Matthew, I believe he put it there so that we would know he knows what he's doing. I believe he put it there so that we would know that. And, and, and that's, that's the final point is that the gospel of Jesus is good news, but it's good news that's hard to hear. So we need, to be, we need to be bold. We need to be able to go and express that. We need to not think about, oh, rejection. Oh, they won't like me. Oh, they may turn me down. You know, I'm not talking about going and beating people over the head with your big King James. What I'm saying is relationally building that relationship to let them know who Christ is. That, that the gospel message is, is that you and I are broken individuals and that we can't fix ourselves and that without God in our life, we are really nothing. And that God so loves us that God said, I will be willing to take your place and I will go to that cross and I will be willing to die on that cross so that you can live. And because I live and I promise you that, that I'm going to rise three days after that death to show you and I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna, I'm gonna eat a meal with you and I'm gonna be in prayer with you and I'm gonna walk a road to Emmaus with you and I'm gonna see all these people and I'm gonna, everybody, you know, hundreds and hundreds of witnesses will see me over a course of 40 to 50 days and then all of a sudden I'm gonna give you a commission. And that commission is before I leave, before I ascend into the heavens, before you won't physically see me anymore, I'm gonna leave you with someone else, and that's the Holy Spirit. And that way you'll never yearn for me, you'll never, you'll never feel like I'm ever away because I'm there. I'm there in presence and in spirit. And Jesus said that's the message that, that we need to hear, that's the message that we need to embrace. And, and he said, but, but, but folks, get it real, get it right. When you say that kind of thing, when you start telling people that kind of message, there will be people who don't want to hear that. There will be people who say that they don't believe in that. There will be people who will rebuke you. And he said, it's not an easy job, but somebody's got to do it. And I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. You see, Kumbaya Jesus, he always makes us feel good. That Bob Marley piece, right? Makes us feel good. Yaman. Kumbaya Jesus fills, fills um, stadiums, fills basketball arenas that are now churches. Kumbaya Jesus fills all those places. Kumbaya Jesus fills all these feel-good places. But the difference between Kumbaya Jesus and real Jesus, Kumbaya Jesus just wants you to feel good. Real Jesus issues the challenge. And yes, there are times that real Jesus' words are going to divide. That's just what we need to know.